All right. And if you haven't found Genesis, it's on page one of your Bibles. All right. There we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters from under the expanse from the waters and were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the land earth. He called the waters with the gathered together. He called seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 11, God said that the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. It was so, and the earth brought forth vegetation and plants yielding seed according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in their seed according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And then God said, let their lights be in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let the, let them be signs for seasons and for days and for years. And let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day, to rule over the night, to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. It was evening. There was morning the fourth day. And then God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living creatures that move with which the water swarms according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. God saw that it was good and he blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Then God said, let each bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things and the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. It was so God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. God saw that it was good. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. To every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. 
God saw that he, everything he made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day, chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Word of the Lord. Guys, may be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Lord, this word reminds us that you are the creator as we looked at the last couple weeks, that you are God and you is awesome power. And that you create everything out of nothing. You are separate from creation. Creation is dependent on you. You are not dependent on creation. And the world, we know it. We just heard or read how you created it. And Lord, we stand in awe. We are just reminded of your power with the hurricane that hit the, the Carolinas, and we pray for our, uh, the people out there on the East Coast. We see that there came with it uh, destruction, and lives were turned upside down. But the good news is that you are in control of that hurricane, and you have a plan and a purpose for that hurricane. And we pray that your people would be great servants and be a great light and minister and serve those that have physical needs. But more importantly, that they would be there to serve the spiritual needs, the, the spiritual hopelessness, those that maybe put their hope in their possessions, in their homes, in their, their careers, in their lives, and they saw it be up, turned upside down, and that they see others who have in the same plight physically, but spiritually they stand strong. That's only because of your grace. And so, Lord, we pray that the gospel would go forth you would use in particular our sister church, Crossway Chapel Wilmington, out there to be witnesses of your glory, witnesses of your love, witnesses of your sacrifice and your servanthood. And Lord, may we see much fruit in the kingdom of God because of this tragedy. Again, Lord, for us, while there were dark skies over in the Carolinas, there were bright and hot skies and blue skies here. And may we just, again, as opposed to last week, uh, commanded to go out and enjoy your creation and that we enjoy your creation because it's good. Again, let Genesis 1 just be a reminder to us that you are God and we are not. We are here to serve and love you. And because of your great love, we can because of your son, Jesus. In your life, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, we find hope in life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good. Last week, if you're visiting with us, we started the book of Genesis actually two weeks ago. We had a bigger introduction than we looked at just Genesis 1-1 last week. And as you know, we just covered one verse last week. And if we kept going at that pace, one verse through the book of Genesis, there's over a thousand plus, it would take us 29 and a half years to get through the book. I just want you to let that set in. Think about your age 29 and a half years from now. Or if you have kids, think how old your kids were would be. Our oldest daughter is 21. That means Taylor will be 50 years old if we did that. Can you, how does that make you feel, Taylor? She don't even want to think about that. But the good news is we're not going to go at that pace, and we should finish really by the, the end of the or be, by the beginning of the summer. But again, we looked at this as that Genesis is the beginning of a story, the beginning of. Of, of our story, the beginning of the world story, the universe story, and the beginning of our story with our relationship with God, the creator. 
And this morning in particular, it is here that we see God the Creator took a formless and void world and gave it form. He gave a, a world that is, was void and gave it volume. Uh, and not only in particular of the world, but in particular to us and our relationships with the Creator. He gave us a purpose in our relationship. So let's look at that. First, we see there's different views on God's creation within the church. There's different, there's different views and way to look at Genesis chapter 1. Many of you are, are maybe here or have questions about Genesis chapter 1, about um, how long did it take God to create this world? Uh, was it uh, long, and as millions and 4.5 billion years, or was it shorter? Was it 10 to 12,000 years? How old is the earth? Uh, anyways, and what the short answer is, is we don't know. I don't know. And I know there might be people out there that say they know without a shadow of a doubt, but they really don't. And there's a couple reasons why. One, because the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't tell us or give us those exact answers to those questions. And secondly, no one knows because no one was there in the very beginning. So you recall the conversation with Job and God. And, and God asked Job a question. He said, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? If you have understanding, please enlighten me. You see, humanity wasn't created till day six. And I think that's in God's wisdom that we weren't created till the last day. Um, can, you, can you imagine? Put yourself in that uh, day one where it's basically a water-filled planet, a, a water world, so to speak. It was darkness. It was, it was void. It was chaos. And then there was you. And then all of a sudden, you heard a voice from heaven start to speak. Now, the disciples were in a storm with Jesus in a boat. These were veteran fishermen. And all of a sudden, this storm comes over them, and they are freaking out because of the hurricane. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Jesus gets up. They wake Jesus up saying, we're going to perish. We're going to die. They're freaking out. Again, these are veteran fishermen. They experienced this before, and they're freaking out over this storm. And Jesus gets up, and with a word, calms it. And they look at Jesus and they're like, who is this man? In other words, that, that, that phrase there is like, this guy is from out of this world. He's not from this planet. He holds some other kind of authority. Who is this man? So, so take that experience and, and then translate it to Genesis 1-1 where God speaks. Now, we, we've had great movies with great actors and great voices be God, right? Morgan Freeman did a good job, right? Uh, James Earl Jones in The Lion King, right? But nothing would compare to this voice. We see, let there be plants and trees. And all of a sudden, there's, there's trees coming out of the ground, these big old branches. And then we see God creates a deer or an elk. And here's a man standing there. He's already freaking out because these things are coming out of the ground, these massive trees. And all of a sudden, he starts seeing trees grow out of these animals' heads, you know. I mean, can you imagine what you would do when you see these kinds of things happen? So we see that God was gracious there. Where were you when I laid the foundation? No one knows because no one was there in the absolute beginning. And so these are good questions for us to ask, though. And there's many Jesus-loving, gospel-centered, inerrant, Bible-believing men and women that are faithful to the interpretation of Scripture that have different views. 
And I have four views that I want to kind of bring forward to you guys to have an understanding of. And we're not going to spend very long on them. We're just going to kind of grow over them. If you guys want to study, I recommend Wade Grudem's overview in his systematic theology book. Very, very good. Very, very helpful. The first view, and is the predominant view since the early church began, it's historic creationism. It goes like this. In Genesis 1-1 records the making of all creation by God the Creator out of nothing. Ex nihilo, we talked about that last week, and that God created the entire universe, including Adam and Eve, in six literal consecutive 24-hour days. Uh, this is where most of, uh, again, the church has stood over the last thousands of years, and this would be the young earth perspective. They would see the earth would be 10 to 12,000 years old. Uh, guys such as Al Mohler would hold this position. John MacArthur would hold this position. This is the position that I would hold to, even though I hold to it loosely. The second view, and the next three actually uh, deal with the, the rise of the science, sciences, the uh, geologists, the, um, those that look at space, those that um, are involved in the sciences. And one is called the gap view. In this view, Genesis 1-1 and forward explains two creation accounts. The first creation account happened perhaps billions of years ago. And then there was a catastrophic event, such as probably the, the fall of Satan and the angels that we read about in Scripture in Isaiah and other places. And when this happened, they, they left the earth, as Genesis 1-2 says, in, in chaos, uh, darkness, and void. And then God responded to this disaster by recreating the earth. And that's what we see in verses 3 on. And that God created the earth in thousands of years, in six literal days. And again, he repopulated the earth as recorded in Genesis 1, 3 through 27. And according to this view, the earth itself is old, but humanity is young. Mankind is young because of the recent creation. There's been some modifications over this view recently, and one of the guys is named John Salhammer, which is very, very persuasive when you, when you study it. Guys such as John Piper would fall in this camp, and our own Max Jackal as well, who's a geologist here. So it's a, it's a possible view. The third view is the literal framework view. The literal framework view, and this view takes Genesis 1 and 2, is intended to be read as a, a figurative framework explaining creation in a topical form and not a sequential order. In, in this view, the six days of creation listed in Genesis 1 are not literal days, but they're, they're metaphors, they're uh, they're, they're describing a long period of time in which God had created. Uh, many of you guys are familiar with the Bible Project. We, we love the Bible Project here. This is where maybe those guys fall in. The literal framework has this. The first three days, there would be the form of the earth. In the last three days, God would fill the earth. And so you see this correlation where form, day one, you have light. Well, then in day form, you have the fill where he puts the sun and the moon. Uh, in day two, we see God creates the waters and the sky. And then in day uh, five, we see that there's birds and the sea creatures that God fills the earth. And form on day three, God forms the dry land. And then we see he fills it in day six with the land an animals and humanity. So this would be the literal framework view. And then the last one, four, would be the, the day-age view, the day-age view. And in this view, God created the heavens and the earth, including Adam and Eve, but it wasn't, and it wasn't six sequential long periods of time, not 24-hour days, but ages over long periods of time. And again, these aren't literal 24 hours a day. And again, these last three would be um, ages of the view, the earth as old. 
So these would be four ways in which Christians, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians, would, would fall in. Theological convictions, scientific convictions, etc. And we can hold to uh, the, one of these four views. But in all these views, most of them, everyone agrees on these things. And this is what's central. This is what we want to stand on. It's that one, that God is self-existent. He is eternal. That two, that God created the world. And the, and the creation, is, again, is dependent on God, not God on creation. That three, God is the, the creator and the giver of life. That four, God made everything from nothing. And five, that everything that he made, he called it good. That's what we all agree on. And that's what is most important. Because these issues can be divisive within the body of church. and actually divides people, the church, and it shouldn't be that way. Genesis, Moses, who probably wrote it, is far more concerned with the questions of who made creation and why God created rather than when and how long he did it. I have a great quote from Galileo this week where he says this about this. He says, the Holy Ghost intended to teach us how to go to heaven, not as the heavens go. So it's good to have robust debate. It's good to ask these questions. But the point is not when and how long, but the point is who and why. And those answers are clearly given in Scripture as we've talked about the last couple weeks. So these are the different views on creation. Now let's get into the text a little bit more. And secondly, we see the rhythms of creation in verses 1 through 31. The rhythms of creation. Just as 1-1 says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the faces of the water. So in verse 1, as we said last week, is the summary of creation. And then we see in verse 2 is where the Lord begins to create. He creates this earth, and the earth was first formless and void. There was no life on it, but there was a lot of water. Again, a, wa- a planet filled with water. And then we also see another character there. It was the, the Spirit of God was hovering over this water. And throughout Scripture, whenever we see the, the Holy Spirit show up, you know something's about to be done. Uh, there's action. There's something that's about to happen. And this is what we see in verse 3. We see that the self-existent, all-powerful, sovereign God begins to create. He takes a formless world and gives form to it. He takes a world that's seen of chaos and he brings consistency to it. He sees a world that's void and he brings volume to it. This is what we see the Lord start to do. And he does that through a handful of rhythms or patterns during each day. And what we see is, I see five. I see five in Genesis chapter 1. Some give more, some give less. But I think there's five rhythms in which God creates this world. Rhythm number one, God is creator. That's the first rhythm. That's the first pattern we see in Genesis chapter 1, is that there is one creator, and that creator is God. We see that in verse 3, 6, 9, 14, 20, 24, 26, and 2, 2. And God said. He is the one creating. He is the one doing the action. There's no ambiguity to who the creator of heaven and earth is. It is as clear as day the creator is God. So that's rhythm number one. Rhythm number two is we see the creator's commands. How does he create? He speaks. It's by his word. Through the phrase we see throughout this chapter, and God said, let there be. Let the. We see that in verse 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, 24, and 26. And when we see that, that's pure power. God creates by his word. 
We understand that our words as, as humans hold weight, hold power. Our words can, can destroy things, can destroy people's lives, can destroy reputation. Our words can also build up and encourage and, and help people and, uh, to, to good things and, and, and great things, great encouragement. But nothing like this. When God speaks, he creates worlds. He creates stars. He creates life. And, 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 and again, these, these commands, there's, there's no recipe outside of God that he's looking for, right? God's not saying to himself, hey, where, where's that recipe for trees? Where, where is that? Where did I put that, right? He doesn't do that. He speaks and they were. Let there be, and it was. The Creator commands. That brings us to our third rhythm that we see in Genesis chapter 1. We read that these commands are obeyed. They're obeyed perfectly. They are fulfilled. The Creator God speaks, and then there's obedience. In verse 3, we see day 1. And we have a slide for all this. JT's going to put this up because we're going to go through the creation days a little bit. In day 1, we see that God says, let there be light, and there was light. Light that separates from the darkness. Now, this is not the sun because we know that's created in day 4. So what is the light? Again, we don't know what the light is, so we can speculate what the light might be because the Bible doesn't tell us what the light is. We, we might think it's the Shekinah glory of God. Right, where it says the the eternal God lives in unapproachable light in First Timothy six. We see in Psalm one hundred four that, that that the Lord wraps Himself like a light with gar with a, like a garment with light. We see the glory of the Lord made Moses' face glow when he passed by him in Exodus thirty three, and we also see that there's a glorious light when the apostle Paul, who was then Saul, came in confrontation with Jesus in Acts chapter nine. So we're not sure what this light is. We just know it's light. And its source is God. And this light separated the darkness. In verse 6, we see day 2 happens. We have the, the creatures of the water. And from the waters by creating an expanse. Uh, and, and again, this is a, a planet that's, that's, that is a water world. It's covered by water, we would think. Possibly, this is what the text would say. And in day two, God creates this expanse. Well, what is the expanse? It's, it's the sky. It's the atmosphere. It's where on a windy day we, we take our kids out to fly our kites. It's where when we're flying on a plane at 30,000 feet, we're flying through the expanse. We're flying through the atmosphere. We're flying through the sky. This is what God created in day two. He creates an expanse that separates the waters. And then we see in verse 7, we see day three. And again, these are all rhythms of these commands being obeyed. We have the creation of land that divides the seas and the waters. And we have these creation on land of seeded plants, seeded trees, fruit trees, and other vegetations. And we see this phrase pop up, according to its kind. And that phrase is repeated ten times in the next ten verses, so it's very, very important. You see, there's a rhythm and a pattern that God is creating in the things that reproduce. They, they reproduce according to their kind. These seeds produce other seeds according to its kind. The genetic code that's made makes up a, a, a fruit tree seed, like an orange tree, produces more orange trees. 
doesn't produce a rose bush. This is the rhythm that we see that God is creating. There's a, a rhythm, a pattern being formed here. How many, how many of you guys are gardeners in here? Who's a gardener in here, right? And who plants seeds? Like, you guys plant seeds, right? And when my mom was gardening, I always remember she would plant seeds in the garden, and then she'd always take a little marker and do what? Mark the seed that was planted, right? Now, why would she do that? Why do you guys do that? To remember what was planted there. Or you could just wait till it comes up, and then you know if a, a, a rose bush came up, it would be, oh, well, that's where I planted the rose bush. If an iris plant came up, that's where I planted the iris plant. If a tomato plant came up, oh, that was a tomato seed I planted in the ground. And this is what we see the rhythm is in creation when God creates the rhythm of order according to their kind. But here's also another very important thing. You see this word seed. It's highlighted. Seed, seed, seed. This will be a very important topic throughout all of Scripture. Because not only the seed is important to plants and trees and other vegetations, but it's important for the Redeemer. Because this seed, we see, we see this seed, we see phrases like in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. We see phrases like in Galatians chapter 3 regarding Moses, the, the seed of Abraham. And what that seed is pointing to, it's pointing to the Redeemer that it would come. And that Redeemer, that seed of Abraham and of the woman, would be Jesus Christ. So that word seed is very, very important here. So that's day three. We start to see this order of of God filling the, the earth with his vegetation and they're reproducing according to its kind. And then we see in verse 14, we see day four. Again, God is speaking. And here we have the creation of the sun, the greater light, and the creation of the moon, the lesser light. And here's where we see we get our calendar, we get our days, we get time. Because the day and the, night, the moon rule the day and the night. Verse 20, we go to day, day five and we have the creation of the sea creatures and the birds of the air. And again, we see that they reproduce according to their kind. Now, we are all familiar with the, the, the creation mandate that we're going to talk about next week um, when dealing with humanity, the creation mandate for man to be given a commission to rule over the earth. We also see a command, um, we might say a, a sea date or a bird date in verse 22. Look at verse 22. God gives a commission. He gives a a command to the sea creatures and to the birds. And what are they to do? What's the command there to obey? To be fruitful and multiply. And that's exactly what we observe in creation. You see, God has hardwired, has given instincts to the sea creatures, to the birds of the air. And when it's time for them to be fruitful and multiply and obey God's rhythm in which they were created to reproduce, you see that an octopus goes and looks for what? Another octopus. Shark goes to look for another shark. A, a seahorse goes to look for another seahorse. An eagle goes to look for another eagle. A sparrow goes to look for another sparrow. Why? Because that's the way they were designed. They are now obeying the order, the commission in which they were given to be fruitful and multiply. We see that again in the sea creatures. We see that with the, the vegetation. We see that with the the birds of the air, we see that with humanity, uh, is given a mandate. And we also would probably say that the same flies with the land animals. Right now it's, it's elk season, and it's called the rut. And, and bull elk, male elk, are not looking for moose. 
They're not looking for deer. They're looking for a female elk called a cow. Why? Because that's how they were designed. That's how they were created, according to their kind. This is the commission that they were given, be fruitful and multiply. And again, this is what we observe. What we don't observe is we don't observe what's called a dat. Does anyone know what a dat is? A dat is where you take a dog and a cat and they reproduce. You don't see that anywhere, right? Why? Because they're two different kinds. Instinctually, dogs don't look for cats to multiply. They look for other dogs. That's why you can take a Labrador and you can take a poodle and you get a what? Labradoodle. You get a mess, right? <laughs> That's why you can take a, a tiger and a lion and you get a liar, lagger. And that can happen because of the same kinds, right? Now, now I know Moses is not trying to defeat evolution in this chapter 1. It's not even on his mind. What's on his mind is he is... Uh, explaining to us that there's a rhythm in which God creates. There's a way in which God creates. There's a mandate in which those that reproduce on earth reproduce, and it's according to their kind. It's repeated again ten times in ten verses, so it's very, very important. Then we see when, we'll see this in in Genesis chapter 7, when God tells Noah to go grab animals of their same kind, two by two. So that's what we see happen. This is the rhythm and the order. So that is day five. Then we go to day six. This is the pinnacle of creation. We have the creation of the, the land animals, the domestic animals, and the wild animals. And here we see also where the creeps were created as well, right? The, the, the creeping things, the things that crawl on their bellies or low to the ground. And then, of course, we see the creation of Adam and Eve, where God says, let us make man and woman in our image, the pinnacle of creation. And then we see in Genesis chapter 2, day 7, the Lord rests. And he calls that day, and he makes that day holy. What we just covered, again, is the, is the obedience to the command. God speaks, and then there's obedience. And when that happens, there is form. There is order that happens. When God speaks and things obey, There is form and there is order. Fourthly, we see, again, the rhythm is we see the Creator pronounces blessing on what He has made. After each day, He says, God says it is good. And then in verse 6, He says it all is very good. And why was it good? It was good because, again, it was doing and operating exactly as God commanded it. It was good. And then finally, we see the final rhythm that God uses to create in all Genesis chapter 1 as we see the rhythm of each day. It was evening and morning. The first day, the second day, the third day. This is what we see, the rhythms of God creation in Genesis chapter 1. Again, these five patterns, these five rhythms is what I want us to highlight and want us to think through. That It's crucial for us to understand because... Uh, verses 3, there's a juxtaposition of verses 2. Uh, it, was, it was void. It was formless. It was chaotic. And then we see in verse 3 that God starts to bring, again, form to the formless. He brings volume to the void. He brings order to the chaos. And this rhythm is still happening today. It's happening right now. Not only in the world, but in your life and in my life. You see, 
When God's commands are obeyed, there is life. There is joy. There is order. And when God's commands are disobeyed, it brings strife, brings death, brings disorder, doesn't it? We know this to be true. Look at your own life right now. And, and, and I, I, would, I would venture to say, I would bet that in your life where you see joy, where you see life, when you see order, it's because you're obeying the commands of God. Not perfectly, but that's your desire. That's your heart. That's, a, that's the consistency of your life. Is, is when you look at your life and you see joy and you see order and you see happiness and you see life, you can probably point to say, hey, I'm walking with the Lord in these areas. Look at your relationships with your friends. Look at your relationship with your, your wife and your spouse. Look at the relationships with your coworkers at work. How you handle your money. When you're obeying God's commands, there is life, there is joy, there is order. And I would venture to say where there's struggle in your life, and in my life, this is to me as well, where there's angst, where there's disorder, where there's destruction, it's because we're disobeying God's rhythms, His commands for our lives. Do you guys not see that to be true in your life? When you take a step back and look at your life? And so... This is what we see that in the beginning, God created with these rhythms, with these patterns. And the overarching pattern is, is when we obey the commands of the Lord, there is life. And when there is disobedience, there is strife. And that takes us to the third aspect of creation, the purposes of creation. We see in Genesis 1 and Psalm 19 and Romans 1, these are all great chapters and uh, verses on God's creation, His general revelation. And obviously the main point of all these chapters is God's glory, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. But secondly, another main purpose of these accounts is to show that creation declares that there is a divine creator. And we made this connection last week with the Trinity. That creator is Jesus. And we said if you know the, the creator, then you'll know the Savior. And if you know the Savior, then you'll have life. And we also said the opposite is true. If you, if you miss the Creator, as Romans says, by suppressing the truth and exchanging the truth, and you worship the creation rather than the Creator, you'll miss the Savior. And, and you want to become your own ruler of life. And then when you do that, you're walking on thin ice. Because these are the beginning steps to the downward spiral of death and destruction we see and read in Genesis 3 and Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 could be summed up like this, that God gives people over to their lust, to their dishonorable passions, because they suppress and exchange the truth about God revealed in creation for a lie. And they start to worship and serve the creature or themselves rather than creator who is blessed forever. Now, this is one of the most scariest theological points in all the Bible. And it's very serious. When people reject God as creator, and we all have family members that do, we all have friends that do, we were once this person, but by the grace of God. When, when, when we start to reject God's creation, we start to reject his order, his commands, and it, and it happens over and over again, there's a longevity to it. 
And even though God's grace is reaching out and He's speaking to us, His testimony is, is in creation. His testimony is through us who, who know Jesus, talking to our friends and family about the gospel, about this Jesus, about this Creator, about the good news of the Savior. And people keep rejecting that. We see this phrase three times in Romans chapter 1 that God gives them over. It's one of the saddest phrases in all the Bible. It's a judicial phrase. It means that God turns them over to become a prisoner. And this is what is so crucial. Why we plead and we beg our friends, our family members not to reject the Creator. Because when you do that, you reject the Savior. And in time, God might give you over to your passions. And that's not a place that anyone wants to be. There was a study done at Oxford University which surveyed children from England and Japan, from all different walks of life, most of them non-religious. <clears throat> and they showed them these detailed photographs of, of man-made things, a home, a tractor, etc., but also of just natural things, trees, plants, animals, etc. And they asked them a question, these children. Uh, how did this particular dog become a dog? How did this first dog ever come into being? These are the questions they asked the children. And the, the results of the study are this, that the, they found that children have a predisposition, have a, maybe a presupposition to see the natural world as designed and purposeful and that some kind of intelligent design being is behind this purpose. And one fact, one of the Japanese assistant uh, researchers, it was an assistant from Japan, was telling the, the researcher from Oxford about these kids. He says, we Japanese don't think of God as creator. It's just not part of Japanese philosophy. So when these children say, God made it, God made it, that is a powerful, significant finding. So what we see here is this flies in the face of guys like Richard Dawkins, who just passed away, and other atheists and other evolutionists or other naturalists that blame indoctrination that there is a God through the proclamation of the world that blame Christian parents for indoctrinating their kids because naturally they don't think there's a God. Well, in fact, what this study shows, the evidence says, is the one who suppresses the truth, the one who indoctrinates our children are not the Christians, but those who believe in evolution and other theories. Because naturally, little children, when they see something, they see design. They see intelligence. They don't see an accident of random atoms coming together to create this. And so if you're in here this morning and you're wrestling with creation, evolution, what's right, what's wrong, my plea to you this morning is to embrace, is to listen to your inner child. Don't suppress that truth. And instead, look into the creation. Look into the order. Look into the one that Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created. And then see that that creator is pointed to Christ in Colossians and other places. And when you do that, that's where you'll find life. That's where you'll find joy. That's where you'll find purpose. Is you'll find him in Christ. So if that's you this morning, again, our plea is to seek out what the Scripture says about creation and the purpose of creation. 
The purpose of the creation is to show that there is a creator that points to a savior. When you find that savior, you find life. Now, most of us in here are already there. And, and last week I asked you to, hey, just go out and enjoy the goodness of the Lord in creation. Go out and worship. Go out and experience God in creation. I know many of you did because you told me about it. And yesterday, as I was writing this, uh, my wife and I were watching Maddie down at a volleyball game and down at Cherry Creek. And, and um, we were inside the gym. And the gym was just, it was just burning. It was hot. So it was in between games, so we decided to go outside, and guess what? It was even hotter outside, right? Why? Because that's what the sun does. It heats up the, the, the ground and the land, and it was, it was hot. There was no clouds in the sky. It was just sun. But at Cherry Creek, they had this nice little grass area with some trees and some rose bushes around it, and, and there was some shade in this grass. So Rita and I just went, and we sat in the shade, and we ate lunch, and, and I actually just laid on the grass. And I just stood, I just looked up into the sky. It was clear. But on this half of me, all I could see is the canopy of the tree cover me and, and see the blocking the sun's rays. And in this area, it was just, it was just shade. The, the grass was cool. I was just stretching out my back. And, and outside over here on the tennis courts, there was a tennis, you know, games going on. They were competing against each other. So I just closed my eyes and I'm listening to the, to the crowd, listening to the parents cheer on their kid and listening to the guys, you know, hit the balls back and forth, doing what their bodies were designed to do when you play tennis. And off in the distance, there was a, a baseball game going on and you're hearing the crack of the bat and you're hearing, again, the cheer. You're just, you're just hearing the rhythms of life as God intended it to be. And then we cooled off because of the shade. The tree was blocking the sun, and there was shade. And the grass, there was water that probably was water in the morning. The, the grass, the ground retained the moisture, and it just retained the coolness. And it just cooled off my body. I just thought, man, God is good. And you just got to thank the Lord for His goodness, for giving us shade, cooling us down. And in hearing the other rhythms of life go on. It's beautiful. Let's continue to worship the Lord in that way. Let's continue to be mindful that the God of creation created that. It was good. And it was to declare His goodness to us. And let's enjoy that goodness. And then don't just take it to creation and enjoy that goodness. Because the Creator, as we know, again, points us to Christ. And it points us to love, and it points us to humility, and it points us to self-sacrifice. And that's image, as we'll talk about next week, those characteristics of God to, first and foremost, our, our friends, our, our spouse, our children, our co-workers, our, the people we sit next to in class. And let them experience the goodness of God, of Christ in you and in me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Genesis chapter 1. Thank you that we see that the overarching theme of Genesis chapter 1 is, is that there are rhythms in which you have created this world. That you, the Creator, have established patterns. And, and the greatest pattern of you as Creator is that when we obey your commands, there is life, there is joy, there is heaven. But when we disobey, we see disorder and chaos. And so, Lord, may we be mindful of that as we take a step back and look at our lives and see where there's joy in life. And let's thank you for the goodness of the truism that when we walk in your ways, there is blessing. But then also let us remember where there's, there's strife and there's dis disunity and discord. It's probably because we are not walking in your ways. And let us then repent and, and run back to the gospel. 
And by your spirit, may you inform us, may you um, teach us your ways. Because our desire is to, to image you, to image your life and to image your love to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.